This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Hello, all of you fabulous people. Welcome back. Today, we're doing another listener spotlight. We've got a delightful human in the studio today by the name of Alice Rogers Purser. Alice reached out to us a month or so ago and requested to come in and share her experience. And ladies and gentlemen, that is music to our ears. Alice is a sommelier, a marathon runner, a wife, a mother, and a self-proclaimed gray area drinker. Beloved actress Andy McDowell also happens to be her aunt. So sit back, because we got a good one today. We are super pumped that you're here with us today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. You know, we've gone back and forth a little bit about, you know, what what you've liked about what we're doing and how it's impacted you on a personal level. So give us a little bit of background about yourself, you know, where you grew up, your childhood like, school, early career, anything you want to share with us, just who are you? Just let it loose. Who the hell are you? <laughs> I am, I was born in California, but I was raised in Charlotte and I went I wanted to go back to California because I just thought it was so fascinating. My aunt is Annie McDowell. She makes being a successful actress look so easy. Mm. My mom said, well, you can do acting, but you got to finish college. So I wanted to graduate college early. So I graduated college at 20 to move to L.A. Were you born in L.A.? I was born in Palos Verdes. Gotcha. Yep. Um, But my family moved back to Charlotte. My whole family's from Charlotte. I mean, my mom's family's from Gaffney, South Carolina. So we're very Southern. But I was born in California because my dad was out there from work. And I think because of that, it always fascinated me. So I always wanted to move back out there. And I did after college for like five years. So, yeah. I worked for your dad. Uh, Your dad was uh, (laughs) Patrick's dad. Stevie was my first boss. I got a job with him when I was 15. He told me, I came in to interview with him and he said, on your 15th birthday, come in and talk to me. Well, I took that to me and I had the job. So I came into Arthur's (laughs) when I was 15 and he was at the beach, y'all at the beach for two weeks. And the manager at the time said, well, he's not here. I said, well, he he said I have a job. I'm here to work. I'm here to work. So by the time your dad got back, I was totally integrated and I was running that place. And he was like, like, you know, I didn't actually hire you, but I hear you're killing it so you can stay. And I worked there all through. And it was the best. It was the best. So your dad just means the world to me. Yeah, and I have memories of, of... you babysat me a couple yep. of times, I think. Yep. And Drove you to laser tag. Yeah. Sm- smacked him around. No. <laughs> so sweet and so cute. Aww. So I, sweet. I was a good laser tag player, too. But I drove a Ford Aspire, and I had three of the his best. buddies, and all four of them wanted to sit in the back seat for some reason. No one wanted to sit in the front seat with me. So I just have this vision of y'all all crammed in the back seat of my Ford Aspire going to laser tag. But yeah, so I moved to L.A., and then I had an eating disorder starting at like 10, just real, you know, control issues with food. And mm-hmm. So I didn't really drink in high school or college. And then when I moved to L.A., it all kind of like... I, I just didn't drink alcohol because it wasn't worth the calories to me. Mm. And so when I was in L.A., I was working at the Four Seasons Hotel, and my best friend did drink. And she make, made it look really cool. Like, she would get, like, a bottle of Veuve Clicquot champagne and smoke cigarettes, and she'd be mm. doing shots with Kiefer Sutherland. And I was like, well, that looks kind of fun. But <laughs> I mean, I'm in. I'm but in. If you add drinking to not eating, it, it's not a good combination. Uh, it's kind of yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of... 
uh, you know, ended up in an eating disorder clinic and then moved back to Charlotte. And then your uncle got me into the wine industry, which I've done for 20 years. Until your podcast, which has made me quit my job in the wine industry because it's <laughs> that much to me. Gonna get us sued. Hey, Grana. Patrick's got a huge influence. <laughs> so when you say you didn't drink yep. uh, high school, college, yep. all that, I mean, did you experiment? Oh, absolutely. Right. I all did. Right. There were times where I experimented and it was so ugly I would black out. Like, okay. Like the couple times I did drink, I blacked out and I would be so sick the next day, like vomiting and just awful. Like I poisoned myself. Just bad experiences. So, so yeah. awful. Yeah. So it was so, okay, I'm not going to touch that or I'm going to black out. Yeah. Like it, those were my two options and that was with liquor. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it just, and like the wine and the beer, like I said, when I was so calorie focused, you know, there's calories in Azima. There's cal- so if I was into if I was in a place with my eating disorder, I didn't want to drink. Yeah. But when I finally got my eating disorder, con- you know, under control, but when I went into treatment, it was like inner alcohol stage right because right. like wine gets a free pass. How old were you when that happened? I was 22 okay. when I left there. Yeah. And that was, was that in California? Yep, that was in California. But when I left there, I moved back to Charlotte because I realized I didn't want to be in LA anymore. It was yeah. really hard to be in LA. Everyone there is so. You, you were you there in New York? Mm-mm. Okay. New York. They're so body focused. Oh yeah. I mean. You know, any audition you go into, you're never thin enough. You're never, you know. And so it was hard for me to be in that place mentally. After suffering (laughs) from a good lord. Yeah. So coming home and getting into the wine industry where, hey, this bottle of wine is what I'm showing you, not I'm showing you myself. Mm -hmm. So So you were 22. You moved back to Charlotte. You get into the wine biz. Because of your uncle. (laughs) (laughs) Who keeps telling me he he loves the podcast, even though it's killing his business. Oh. (laughs) Got people quitting. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about your life in the wine industry and what that looked like. So, moved back to Charlotte, talked to your uncle at Arthur's, and he got me into the wine industry. So, I was selling wine and I worked my way up. So, I was a sommelier. I was, you know, selling, I was the fine wine manager for a Warren Buffett owned company. I was selling to local restaurants. I was the fine wine manager. I mean, but you're drinking wine, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, it's it's very much integrated. You're having wine at lunch, and your customers want you to drink with them, and it's very, you know, it's a very tough industry if you're trying to watch your intake, which at the time, when I first started, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, I've always kind of wondered this. When, when you're in a role like that mm-hmm. and you're drinking all day long, because I know they always have like those spit bottles or whatever where you can take. Does anybody actually do that? So, or like, is that frowned upon? Or your customers yeah. want you to drink with you. Like, yeah. they feel like you they want to connect. They want to connect. Oh, do you taste the pineapple? Oh, mm-hmm. I do. Let me see what you're tasting. And then you're spitting into a water bottle. It kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yes. I always thought yeah. that that was weird. Yeah. It's a very gray area. Like, it's a very yeah. hard thing to do when you're trying to show a product. And then to spit it out, mm-hmm. like it's hard. So, but a lot of people do that. Absolutely, I mean, that's part absolutely. of absolutely, absolutely. But when I was in the beginning trying to get into it, yeah, I was hammered. You didn't have the clout <laughs> all day. Do I mean, spit out. Spit, yeah. yeah, I didn't. Yeah. No, I didn't have the confidence yet. I was trying to build my, you know, repartee and my customer base and all that and the trust. So yeah, no, I was hammered. I am under the impression that taste buds are kind of yep. further down yep. your throat as well. Yep. So how do you how does that how is that effective? So when I was pregnant with my daughter, I did not drink a drop the entire pregnancy and I had won a trip to Oregon wine country. So and I had to go to vineyards and I Willamette Valley? Willamette, damn it. Yes, sir. <laughs> and so like I did taste and spit. You can spit, but there's a little bit left in your mouth 
like it's just impossible to spit it all out. Right. You're so gonna get you a little. Can you can get a little, little. swallow a little bit, Got and it soaks it. into your tongue. So. Got it. But you do that enough times, and you'll feel a little <laughs> fuzzy. I mean, it, even if you're spitting, you know. So during those early years where you were kind of drinking breakfast, lunch, and dinner, was that did that help you kind of like update your relationship with alcohol, like in comparison to what it had been like with liquor and blacking out? Like, right. how were you seeing your alcohol use at that point? Was it strictly part of your job? Was it something you were starting to enjoy? Um, that's a great question because I did see it as part of my job. So I did it for five years. And then when I was 27, we had a big winemaker kickoff at a restaurant. And it carried over into an Irish bar. I won't name it. but uh, And everyone started doing Irish car bombs. And I did the Irish car bombs. And I don't remember anything after that. And my boss mm-hmm. had to carry me to my car. I didn't know where I lived. I, he tried to get me in a taxi. I had no idea who I was, where I was. I was blackout. And a sales rep had mm-hmm. to take me home. I slept on her couch. I woke up the next day, fur in my face. Her cat was sitting on my chest. <laughs> no idea where I was. <laughs> and oh, my sister had called hospitals because I lived with my sister at the time. And it was so awful and so scary. And I have not touched liquor, hard liquor, since that night. How long ago was that? That was when I was 27. Wow. And even like I'll be in a I don't know event. how old you are now. Though. I'm 43. Oh, I have to turn right, 44. Yeah, so I haven't touched, like, even I'll be in an event and someone will have, like, incredible tequila. And they'll say, this tequila is $100, and I don't touch it. Don't touch it. Mm -hmm. But I kept drinking wine. Kept drinking wine. Mm -hmm. Because wine gets that free pass. And it was part of my job. Yeah. You know? So, and sometimes you have two glasses. Sometimes you have three glasses. In that relationship with wine during that time, Mm -hmm. you know, between 22 and now, were you ever really mindful of your wine intake, or were you just kind of unconsciously, like, in tune with the patterns that you needed to fall into for tasting? Um, I think I was in tune when I started running. Okay. And I started, like, running, and I started training, and I started doing marathons, and I was good at them. And when, I, when was that? This was like when I was 33. Okay. So I started running and doing races and I really loved it. And I'm still drinking. And I would definitely notice the next morning if I had a training run or a workout, I mean, I just didn't feel good. I felt crummy. Mm-hmm. And I'd have two glasses of wine the night before and I'd feel crummy the next day. And I kept drinking, but I just, I did notice the effects it was starting to have on me. Then I started not sleeping at night. Then I started like... You know, it, it was almost like, I remember your episode with that listener, Jane. It was almost like you start becoming allergic to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Were you drinking more, or did that just kind of come about? I think it was compounding, Patrick. I think it was the compounding effect of drinking all, like, every day, yeah. all those times. Mm-hmm. It was like my body started saying, uh, I think we're, we're going to try and get you to stop here somehow. Somehow. Huh. Yeah. Because the negative effects started... Outweighing. So I really did look at getting sober. I really did. Like I read, you know, Alan Carr's Control Your Drinking twice. And I and it said at the end of the book, you'll you'll quit drinking. And I was having Chardonnay going, <laughs> right. I'm still drinking. Yeah, I did that for smoking. <laughs> I know, I know. He's like, please drink while you read this book. I'm like, okay, Alan. And then I finished. He's like, and you'll never drink again. And I'm like, but I'm, uh, but I'm drinking yeah, right now. I'm drinking right now. Alan. But I think it's because I really wanted to figure out a way that I could keep drinking healthily or like in a moderate way. Kind of like with my eating disorder. Like, I have to walk the tiger three times a day. Mm. I still have to eat, but I have to figure out how to do it healthily. So it was like, how can I drink but do it in a healthy way? And maybe there isn't an answer. I don't know. But I'm definitely, because of y'all's podcast, found I'm a gray area drinker. Mm -hmm. And there's a name for me. And I I don't have to go to – I've been to AA meetings. I think they're amazing. But they're for people who 100% are stopping. Sure. I don't 
want to hundred percent stuff. And I'm sorry to say that. I hope that's okay. Like, oh no, that's what we're about. Okay, we're, I like having a glass of champagne. Of you course. know, at the end of the day, and I, I mean, that's champagne. Ironically, your champagne podcast is my favorite drink. Um, I could go the rest of my life without wine, but I like my glass of champagne. And it's like, how do I manage that? And I think you just have to be aware. And listening to y'all's podcast has helped me get the tools of how to do that, if that makes sense. Well, so I'm just wondering how you go from like not really sleeping great and just not feeling your best for your morning training sessions to I'm going to read a book about quitting or I'm going to go to an AA meeting. Like I think for me, when I started to look in those places, it was because I didn't know that anything else existed. And I thought that that was the only answer. And so I'm just curious if that was the case for you or just what the thinking was behind like I'm going to pick up a book about sobriety. I think it was because I wasn't sleeping. I noticed, so I also have panic disorders. I have panic attacks. And when I drink, mm-hmm. I have really bad, so when I drink, my panic is worse. So it was mm-hmm. like, I want to be, and, and also like drinking doesn't make me, like I'm not a funny, happier person when I drink by any means. And I think, I dare say most people aren't. I know they think they are. <laughs> I was. Were you? <laughs> I don't Good know. Good for you. Maybe. maybe. But you he know thinks what I mean? he was. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Most people when they drink are Jerks. Why do you drink? Because that's a great question. <laughs> I love my morning cup of coffee. I look forward to it so much. Yeah. The same way I look forward to my glass ritual. of champagne. Ritual. The ritual of it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not gonna drink champagne out of a red solo cup. I'm like I want it out of a nice ritual glass. It's the whole rich exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a rich it's the ritual of it. Mm-hmm. And it does calm me down. But it's like, you know, it's like my daughter has an ice cream cone. She's five. She's like, Mom, I really want another ice cream cone. I feel the same way. Like, I, I really want another glass. And it's like learning the tools. And because y'all's podcast, I've learned those. Like, how do you have one and then stop? And, and what does that mean? It's the golden question. That's the golden question. You know? And, and people say, like, you had one uh, episode with Tom about Dry January. I really tried. I made it like two days. And I was oh, like, well, well. You gave it okay. a good, <laughs> good try there. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do Dry January and then get hammered on February 1. I want right. to learn how to have... A re- where I can have a relationship with, with champagne or, or, you know, maybe a glass of wine, I don't know. But in a way that's healthy and mindful and where I'm not a slave to it, I'm free. Because there is slavery. You know, you, I think you are chained to it when you're an alcoholic. Because mm-hmm. everything is about that decision. How do I get it? How do I get it? Is my glass big enough? Is my, you know... So my, my mind is going, as I'm listening to you talk, the why. Right. So what what happened? I mean, what was... Did you ever black out from wine? Are you just, you know, I, I understand you didn't sleep well and those kinds of things, but what made you want to quit at some point and now put all this effort towards learning how to control it? Be- why? Because I do see how bad it is for you. It's a, it's a poison. It's an sure, ethanol. Sure. It is. I mean, it's a fancy ethanol. I mean, it's a, you know. And like I said, I don't have two glasses of wine and then I'm a better person. And if my husband travels all the time. If I have two glasses of wine and my daughter falls down the stairs and I have to get her to the hospital, I'm screwed. Yep. And that's freaking scary. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better person. And I know I'm a happier person when I don't drink. I feel so good. But I would literally have to go to bed at 6 o'clock to not have that glass of champagne because it's my nightly ritual that I look forward to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how you don't do that, honestly. But I also don't know how I don't have my morning cup of coffee because I'm so addicted to that. Mm -hmm. I think my dopamine is just on it. And maybe y'all have the answers. I don't know. Well, I think, one, there's a big difference between, uh, like, the 
alcoholic level of consequence you need to make a change versus the gray area level of consequence that you need to make a change. I think when you're a gray area drinker, you're not drinking enough to be completely unaware um, or to be completely driven by physiological cravings that you can't kind of think through rationally what you're doing, right? So sometimes not sleeping well or not training great is enough to, or to have panic, which is deeply uncomfortable. Sometimes that is enough to go, hey, probably not great. I think the other thing that's really different about your story is you have some muscle memory around what it's like to not have to practice abstinence and actually not be able to practice abstinence around something that you have an unhealthy relationship with. So I think like disordered eating is really different from alcoholism because abstinence is not the answer and could never be the answer. You have to learn how to manage that thing on a daily basis, like you said, three times a day plus, and figure out like, how do I make a lifestyle change? How do I make a mindset change? How do I make physiological changes around the way that I interact with this substance? And it sounds like you went from really wanting a big change with alcohol to then going, I know how to do this. I've done it with food and I'm going to really create some intention around what I care about. And I'm going to learn how to do that. And it doesn't have to be so black and white. And I love, you know, of course, I love hearing you say like our podcast helped you with some of those things. And I'm just curious, like what, what episodes do you look back at? Or what tools do you think of when you're saying like that really helped? Or what questions did you ask yourself? What were the takeaways for you that helped you learn how to manage it and have a relationship with it? I think, and I emailed Patrick this, it's like, it's really hard to enjoy that glass of wine with you guys in your head. You know what I mean? Like, after yeah. hearing all y'all have said, all the stories, all the people that have been on here talking about, like, the like the better side is on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like there, there's so much to look forward to when you enjoy your life in a healthy way without being, you know, drunk or, you know, inebriated. And it's like with that in my head, and then you go to reach for the wine. It's like, gosh, it's, it's it doesn't taste quite as good, and and you're <laughs> almost like, you know, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink it anyway because this is what yeah, I do. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. Fuck them. Mm -hmm. What do they know? Totally. <laughs> Killers. <laughs> but you know, but the funny thing Close for me killers. is like, I will go out places, or especially when I was you know in the wine industry. You know, I'd only have one, and people were like, come on, have another one, and I'd say, well, I'm picking up my daughter. Oh, you can have two and still pick up your daughter. I'm like. <laughs> That's not, That's not true. But, you know, or like, you know, you go to, and it's just, wine is so, it gets such a free pass. It really does. Yeah. Like all those, you know, mommy, rosé, all that stuff. It's like, I, I did a half marathon and it was like, you know, mommy needs her rosé because you've got all summer at home with the kids. It's like, well, just enjoy being with your kids. Why do you need to be drunk on rosé to do that? Like, yeah. I just wish they could separate those two. And I don't know if they ever will, like... No, they won't. Okay. Because it works. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And I've sat in those meetings. I've sat in those meetings where they're, you know, promoting a wine or they want us to kick off a wine. And it's like, this wine is going to be geared towards women because it has a pretty label. It hits a nice price point. Da, da, da. Like, they are literally marketing it to the moms. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. so it works. Whatever, right. whatever they make money on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Bottom which, line. Which is why I left. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so... Tell us more about that. You start listening to the podcast. Yep. You make a decision that you want to be more intentional about yep. your drinking. Yep. What made you really decide to change careers? I think just that my new way of thinking, my new way of, I, I feel like my eyes were opened. My eyes were opened to what's really going on and what's really happening. 
And it's like, I can't stay in this industry where it's about drinking. Mm -hmm. I can't stay here if I'm trying to change. Because if, you know, what is it? If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Like, I can't, I can't keep pushing this on people when I'm myself trying to change. Okay. And, and, you know, and I don't want to, I'm not going to be preaching. This is my story. Like, sure. I'm not yeah. going to be out there like, you know, my, my mom, Babs, <laughs> loves her glass of Chardonnay. We just got back from Dollywood, and she had her glass or two of Chardonnay every night, you know? like <laughs> and, and she was the one who really wanted me to come on this podcast because she was like, you should tell your story. Because, like, I think more people need to be aware that, you know, having three glasses of wine a night, it, they call that binge drinking. And right. I was shocked when I think someone on your podcast said that, you mm -hmm. know? Like, because so many people have three glasses of wine a night. Oh, at, yeah. least. at least. Big ones. Big ones. What is it? What did Johnny Depp say? You know, a mega pint? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it's like, yeah. And But people think it gets a free pass. Or people say, oh, I don't drink, I don't eat carbs, but I'm going to have three glasses of red wine and I'm still on my diet. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. it just gets a free pass. Well, yeah, it does get a free pass. Often what we talk about on this show is the spectrum. Right. 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 I mean, everybody's different. It affects everyone differently. I mean, yes, there are metrics around it as to what kind of crosses a line when it becomes, there's a probability with health risks and those kinds of things. And Sam, Sam can absolutely speak to that. But there's also this other side where, you know, one glass of champagne three nights a week, is that going to kill you? No. It's not every night. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I dumped it down for you. <laughs> I, no. I I don't know. I don't know how. Like my sister can do it. My sister can go the whole week. She doesn't drink, and then on Friday night she'll have a glass. But I don't feel like she gets, you know, as big of a hit from it that I do. I get such a hit from a well, glass there you of go. champagne. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like it. Like just same with my coffee. I get such a hit from it. You know, yeah. I I just feel like my dopamine receptors are just on high alert. What made you stop at one? I mean, I don't always stop at one. I can stop at two. If I, when I, after my second she said, one, try. I said try. Yeah. Okay. I can try. I can stop at two, and I'm telling you, it's 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 um, what do they call it? Like crave surfing, you know? Like mm -hmm. it is very much. I got to get out of the house. I got to walk the dog. I got to listen to Dolly Parton, Clear Blue Morning. I got to get my head out of there, and, or I got to start. I loved the episode about GABA. About green tea yeah. and GABA, I will start chugging green tea. I, I mean, I really have to go next step. Like, I really got to go, okay, I've had my two glasses of champagne. That's it. We're going to drink a ton of green tea. We're going to take the dog for a walk. We're going to listen to Dolly Parton and or pound athletic greens or whatever. And then 20 minutes later, I really don't want it. I promise you, I don't is want it. Is it getting it. easier? It's getting easier. It's like a muscle. It's like training for a marathon. It's like muscle. But I mean, this has only been, I mean, since, you know, I've been listening to y'all, you know, but I do feel like every day it's getting a little easier. Because every day I do it is a step stronger, I feel like, towards yeah. what I want to be. Yeah. It's kind of like beating a panic attack. Yeah. It gets a little easier each yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. There's one thing that I feel like our guests don't talk a lot about, and we don't talk a lot about, well, because Robbie and Patrick can't do this, because that would be very frowned upon. But as a gray don't area me, drinker, I, I'm always so curious. Like The thing that I identify the most with is when it didn't go so well, or when you didn't stick to one, or like I don't think that we talk enough about the pouring a glass of champagne and being like screw champagne problems like I know that they said all those things but I'm still going to make the right. decision to oh, have yeah. two or three tonight and like what those nights are like and what you think is different about those and and what's different about the decision making or what's different about your mood or what what you've got like your stress level right and just curious yeah, if the you curveball thrown oh yeah yeah like it, the things that take you off guard like I'm great sometimes when I'm really intentional and 
And then sometimes when I have to like repeat myself three or four times at a restaurant or I have to say no four or five times at a bonfire, I'm like, good God. And I do, there are times where I kind of give up or I give in or I'm curious, would you be willing to share some of those moments just to kind of normalize it? Absolutely. When I love Sam, when you talk about like, you can't turn back from being a pickle or if I say I'm allergic to peppers, y'all don't question me on it, you know, Mm -hmm. but if I'm at an event and I have one and they say, do you want another one? And I say no. And they're like, why not? I mean, it's like, why, why can't I just say, I just want one and then I'm done, you know, but the times I, of course I've gone too far. I mean, the day I decided to quit my job, I drank a whole bottle of champagne. That was a champagne problem. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it was a champagne problem. And and my husband doesn't drink. He only like, he's so good. He'll have like one beer and he's done. Like he's just never had an addictive personality. God bless him. If the whole bottle of champagne has gone, I live in a house with him and my five-year-old. I'm the one that drank it, you know? (laughs) And so it's like, and sometimes, you know, you leave like that much. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I didn't it didn't finish, finish it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I didn't finish it. But, like, I feel so crummy, y'all. And I wake up at 2 in the morning, and I'm having a panic attack, and I can't breathe. And it's like, it's like the repercussions of that 20 minutes of the extra glass of wine for the next 12 to 24 hours are so bad. Yeah. They're so mm-hmm. bad. The next day I have a headache. You know, I'm puffy. My uh, my mom had some macular degeneration, and a lot of it has to do with dehydration. Mm. So, if, and I'm, you know, I'm predisposed to it. So I wake up the next morning, my eyes hurt. Mm. You know, like, I mean, it's just the negative effects of it are so bad. So bad. But I still sometimes do that where I take that wrong step. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, in that sometimes moment. It's worth it. In that moment. No, no. Believe Gosh. me, we, th- this kind of thinking, which I think is really. Some of the most fascinating parts of this is, you know, often describing when you said that hit, that, yeah. that hit is yeah. why I do yep. it. Like that's that first hit. That's mm-hmm. that genetic mm-hmm. piece that, mm-hmm. that I have come to understand where my body processes it differently. My yep. brain processes yep. it differently. I take a sip. It makes me feel like God. Yes. You know, my yes. wife takes a sip. It makes her feel a little bit tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, holy God, that's terrible. Like, yeah, exactly. So it's so different. I feel Such happy. A different it makes me happy. But then after, like, especially with wine, champagne's different. But, like, after two glasses of wine, I'm not happy. Yeah, like, yeah. I get angry almost. Like, I just don't feel good. So that's why I've really cut wine out. But champagne's my last problem. It's my last problem. We're getting and there. I, we're, we're getting, getting there. there. We're getting We're slowly weaning myself off. Do like, you, I mean, do you have plans to, to quit? I'm curious. Completely? I'm, I'm sober curious. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, I'm demi-sec. I'm semi-dry. Mm. Like, I am... Mm. Um, what does demi-sec mean, by the so way? So, in, when you're making champagne, um, you know, as much sugar as you put in, like, oh. that's, it, that's you know, sec, demi-sec. So, demi-sec means semi-dry. It means So, dry is brute, no sugar. Okay. And I like And then, that. Um, sec, you know, like, they have secco, like, sweet. So, ah. demi-sec means semi-dry. So, it's semi-dry, so it's almost, you know, We're going to no sugar, start using yeah. that term to confuse yeah. people. Yeah, to confuse people. But, yeah, so I'm sober curious because I I swear, but I'll tell you what, y'all. I've been to AA meetings, and I've also seen that some of the saddest people in there crying, saying that they would give anything for a drink, you know? Like, real sadness. And so, I think people have to understand when you take that away. And I'm, y'all know, it's, you know, it's such a... There's sadness there, too. Temporary. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. So can I ask true. why the consideration for full sobriety? Like, I th- this is the part about gray area mm-hmm. drinking and about what we do that really interests me the most is, are you sober curious out of pressure or f- like feeling that that is like the ultimate, like you did it well, hmm. or is it because you genuinely think that things would be better for you? with zero alcohol 
in your life. Because for me, my goal is not to be a hundred percent sober ever. Right. And when that thought enters my head, it is so much more about, I think that that's, I'm an achievement girl. I like accolades. I like winning. And like, that seems like the thing where you like, you just went all in, but that's not what I actually want. And so I'm curious for you. And that's why I love this podcast. Yeah. I'm curious for you about like, what's the, what's the driving factor towards being even more sober curious than you are. So the curiosity around actual sobriety rather than a reduction in an intentional relationship with alcohol. Well, how much do you, like, do you drink every night? No, I rarely drink. It's probably like once every like three or four months at this point. She doesn't have the addictive stuff. Right. So like my goal, I guess, would be to do what Robbie said, which is like three nights a week, have a glass of champagne, not Mm -hmm. every night, Mm -hmm. just to see if I could get there and just Mm -hmm. to see if my life was better. Because my life has gotten so much better since cutting back. Right. So I would be curious if, if it even, it's almost like life just opens up when mm-hmm. you cut back on drinking. It really does. Like yeah. it does become like, I, like I said, there is sadness, but on the other side, there's so much happiness and so much joy. Sure. And, and there's achievement and, and, and achievement. self-discipline and, yeah. and sleep. Oh my God, the sleep. A little bit of sleep. Oh, the gift <laughs> of, like give the gift to yourself of sleep. It opens up time too, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. cause I mean, a lot of us at least spend a lot of time drinking, <laughs> but even for people that, that aren't like me, that do have semi or healthy relationships with alcohol, it's still a big part of their right. life. Right. You know, a lot of their social interactions are are based on it. They're you know, every every kind of um meeting or, or get together is based yeah. on it. And you remove the alcohol from that and it's like, okay, well now I have Friday and Saturday nights. What right. the hell am I gonna do with it? Right. Yeah, boredom is a big piece. Yeah. Do you ever get bored? No, I never get bored. I never get bored. Like I said, I drink my glass of champagne. I don't. It's not a social thing. It's not to go out. People like I'll go out and drink iced tea and Pellegrino. Like I said, I'm much more fun at parties when I'm sober. Trust me. Like I will dance sober. That's not a problem for me. It's after I put my daughter to bed and I want to relax. I want to unwind. Yeah. It's how I. Like I had, I used to love Chambord when I was 13, watching Saved by the Bell. Like I would literally pour a little glass of liqueur yes. Chambord. When I was 13, I watched Saved by the Bell because it relaxed yes. me. You know, yes. and I would just do one, but it relaxed me. It was like, you know, my mom would be like, did someone drink the Chambord? I'm like, no, not me. But I'm um, <laughs> like, it's in my family, you know? And I think yeah. being aware of that too, knowing that you have that, like knowing I'm coming by this honestly. Like I didn't choose to have my brain light up like a Christmas tree when I have a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. But I also have to learn the other side of that is so dark and, you know, it's well, just... Yeah. The fact that you didn't start drinking until 21, 22 probably played a big role in why that, you know, you Had were to. able to avoid that. Right. You know? Right. Right. One of the things that I always think about is um, when I was a lot younger and kind of sh- trying to figure out relationship with alcohol, um, I almost felt like it would be easier or simpler to be sober and to tell people that I was sober and then no one would ever be like, you can have two, you can burp, 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 you should have this. Like no one would do those things if I was sober, if I claimed sobriety. And so I think early on I drifted in that direction to kind of try that out and see what would happen. And it, only as I got more and more confident was I able to reintroduce it. And I felt it a lot more difficult to be a gray area drinker or to be an intentional drinker that rarely drinks 
then I found it to like claim sobriety or like, oh, I don't drink at all. So that, that kind of conversation I think comes with so much more nuance of having figured out for yourself, why do you have the one glass? Why do you enjoy it? Why do you not have it three or four other nights a week? Because people do ask questions and people do really want to know why you're making some of those decisions that is very different and intrusive in a way that they wouldn't ask you about food or kind of other things. And so I'm curious too, like if a lot of people drift towards sober curiosity and go try that on because it does feel like a label that they can identify with and they can present to people to explain their change in behavior when at the end of the day what we're really just looking at is like my life do I want this do I not my diet do I want it do I not my panic right my anxiety do I want it do I not and and sobriety almost gives you that like if I hold this I don't really have Mm -hmm. to explain myself people respect it admire it people are still confused by intentional or gray area drinking that's healthier because it's so gray. Right. It is. It's so gray. And it's so funny when people too, like if you say, oh, you know, I'm really trying to cut back on drinking. They'll say, well, I don't have a problem with it. You're like, well, that's funny. (laughs) I I always tell people if I'm going to drink, it's definitely not going to be with you. Right? (laughs) That's a good line. I like that. That's good. I mean, it's like, why do they all automatically say, well, I, you know, it's like. Yeah, it, it's defense. It's defense. It's yeah. like by by my being curious about it, I'm somehow insulting their choices. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with them. This is my journey. This is my life. And it's like, I'm going to be 44. What would. And, and it's so interesting. Like, if I could live my best life, you know, why not do that? And then I, I feel like you don't feel like you're you know, getting older and like getting weaker, you're getting stronger and more powerful. And it's like the fountain of youth, you know, Mm -hmm. because you get your sleep and you wake up and you look good and you're not like all wrinkled and, you know, (laughs) pickled as Sam said. I love that you pointed out like one of the main reasons that you started to make changes or one of the reasons like our voices were in your head when you're reaching for a glass of champagne is like the, the inspiration or the hope that something better could be on the other side if I don't have it rather than I hear these war stories. It scares me and I I don't want to end up there because I think that is a big part of our mission is just creating an option Mm -hmm. and not the undertone is never meant to be that we push sobriety like for folks that have a substance use disorder. Yes, absolutely. And if you are someone who's a gray area drinker that wants to make changes, at least in my opinion, I really, I I would encourage people to just identify what is the relationship they want with alcohol and push and push and push for them to get there, not push and push and push with the end goal being that everyone should be sober. Because I do think there are a lot of places for alcohol in our lives and it doesn't have to be this it's unhealthy for absolutely everyone or like Robbie said earlier, like, is that really going to kill you? And I don't think that that's the question for me. The question for me is, is it worth the risk that I am aware of and refuse to ignore that I ignored for a lot of years? Right. Right. Like, no, it's not going to kill me. It's, it, it, it's really so much more about what does it cause for me? What does it create for me? And do I want that? It's no different than the bag of Doritos you eat every every day, Sam. I'm a big fan of bugles. Big fan of like munchies. Put them on your fingers. Been making peach pie like every night for no reason. Like you know, those are worth it. Yes, every night. (laughs) So yeah, so yeah. I like how your relationship with alcohol, Sam, is based 
on want rather than need. Because mm. um, I think that, like, some gray area drinkers, and you you may be able to identify with this because it sounds like, you know, that, that relief that you get from that one glass of champagne at night is something that you feel like you need at this point. Mm-hmm. It's difficult for me to conceptualize because I've never been able to do that yeah. with any kind of substance to where it's like... Oh yeah, I can just take it or leave it. I, you know, I'm gonna drink tonight because I want mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. You know, there are really like two things that I personally have to consider at this stage, and this is probably even updated from last time we talked about my drinking. I do find relief, like if I have a beer with my now husband who, when we're playing with the dog, <laughs> and it's like 5:30 on a weeknight. I do get relief. I love that feeling. Like I really like. There is something very because it doesn't take yep. much for me. So one beer does it, right? I'm warm, I'm fuzzy. I feel like I feel it going through my veins quite literally. But are you seeking that out prior to the drink? Sometimes. Like sometimes when I'm like, do I want a beer or not? That's one of the questions that I ask myself is like, do I want that feeling? Because it's what I associate right, with the beer. you think about it all day long. <laughs> no. While but you there, your bugles. But I think that's the point is like if it's in the fridge and I look at it and I associate it with that feeling it feels worth it right then to crack it open and drink it. But the other part that I have just refused to ignore for the past probably six months, which has led to less and less drinking, is just as much as I associate that amazing relaxation feeling with one beer, I also have to be honest with myself and associate the 10, 30, 11 p.m. anxiety wave that I get, even after one beer. So when I'm making the decision about do I want one and is it worth it, it used to just be like, of course, and I would have it. And as I started to update the system, right, like Dr. Judson Brewer talked about on the podcast, it's really become much more about putting those all three things together. Is the beer worth the relaxation I'm going to find now and the 1030 anxiety I'm going to have and the poor sleep I'm going to have? Like, you have to look at the whole bundle. And I think only when you're really willing to look at all of the pieces that come with drinking objectively, that's when you can really make sound decisions about the type of relationship you're having with it. Rigorous honesty. Yeah. Like a lot of my fumbles came from ignoring what came anytime after the first hour that I was drinking. When I started to really like look at the entire thing, it was like, that's, And some nights it is like sometimes it's like my stress is so big. That feeling is so welcome. I'll deal with the consequences later and I'll have the beer. For the most part, that's not true. For the most part, I go, "Eh, I can have an NA beer. Like we have not like alcohol free Heineken and Stella's in the fridge. And I will just choose one of those because I want the ritual. I want to go outside, play with the dog, have a beer. But I do not want what's coming at 1030 if I have a real one. Absolutely. Alice, why did you start listening to our podcast? Well, the truth is my mom sent me the article from the Charlotte Observer. Oh, I just jumped right in. I listened to your story first because I knew you. And then I listened to your story. Mm -hmm. And I listened to Sam's story. And I was so riveted. I just started at one. And I listened to them all. (laughs) And I went back and listened (laughs) to them. In one day. In one day. Biggest fan ever. (laughs) (laughs) Drinking Zima. No. 
No, I run. So I listen to yeah. while I'm running. I just remember, I, I was just so happy to find a place that was finally talking about gray area drinking because that's what I am. And there was never a name for it. I didn't know th- this place existed. And every sobriety podcast I'd ever listened to was like, like one I listened to with these girls were like, don't ever drink again, but we're doing gummies and smoking pot because that's okay. And I'm like, but wait. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to address that at some point. Yeah, I mean, I was like, but wait. And then I was listening to the Goop podcast, no shade on Gwyneth. But, Mm. um, you know, she's like talking, she's sponsored by um, Hendrix Gin. Sure. And she's like, no dairy, no gluten, but then drink some gin. Gwyneth, no shame on you. No shame, no shame. We love you, Gwyneth. Please listen. We know you're listening. We know you listen. I love it. Yeah. But like she had Cameron Diaz on, and Cameron Diaz was talking about her clean wine, Aveline, because it's clean, organic, and, you know, biodynamics. Clean ethanol. Clean ethanol. Like, come on, y'all. But she, you know, just has one glass or whatever. And like, I just kept like being so kind of just not finding the niche, like the, the, like my people. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to y'all and I was like, oh my gosh, everything y'all were saying, everything your, your guests were saying, were connecting. And I was like, finally, someone's talking about it. Like someone's talking about it. Someone's putting the light on drinking and saying, hey guys, why don't we look at what we're doing to our bodies? Mm. We did it with smoking back in the day. Like mm-hmm. they all thought smoking was healthy. And then, you know, yep. it's like, let's just be aware. Let's look at it. And I loved all your guests just talking about like truth and like, and I loved when they you had someone on talking about like this Generation Z is the sober generation. Mm-hmm. Like how cool! Like yeah. why are kids in their twenties deciding to be sober? Maybe because they've seen us all be mm. assholes for so long <laughs> that they're like, "Hey, let's try something different, yeah. guys." I don't want to be like that. Let's not you know do drunk driving and get arrested <laughs> and you know yeah. like I mean y'all during COVID I mean I was an essential worker because I sell wine. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah, nice. I mean the ABC stores the lines were out the doors yeah. mm-hmm. and more people got killed by alcoholism in 2020 than COVID, but no one talked about that you mm-hmm. know. So yeah. just to listen to y'all putting a light on it and so by y'all putting a light on it you put a light on me and I was able to look at it and say gosh do I really need this and and you know what does that mean and and when I started experimenting cutting back I would just wake up in the morning so happy and I didn't have panic and I felt great on my run and I was a better wife a better mother and I just was like I want this feeling I want this feeling because if I can have this the rest of my life I don't feel old turning 44 I feel like like my best years are ahead of me and that's really cool, you mm. know? And I, and, and I think I think more people, not to preach, more people should try it because it's really amazing, you know? I just think it's awesome that what you're talking about isn't 100% sobriety. Like, I think mm-hmm. that's yeah. what gets missed is a lot of times all. people are like, everyone should try it. Everyone should go alcohol-free. It's like, what if you went alcohol intentional and you had one glass yeah. of champagne instead of three? Like, your life has improved through making those changes, and but you but who knows until you try right like that's information too yeah. so I think it's really cool that a lot of the positive experiences that you've had I just want to highlight that has been through reduction it's been through yeah. intentional change not through a hundred percent sobriety I'm abstinent forever I'm committed and the only you know thing I can identify is someone who had a really bad problem and now I totally don't drink it's like this is really. my personal kind of mission within the podcast really is like, this is you are who I like to help. Right. So it's really cool to hear you have some of those experience and, and reap all the benefits and for you to be empowered, to know that that can continue to grow if you choose to continue to make changes. And if you choose not to, that's awesome too, because look at where you've gotten so far with just making smaller ones. 
it's like working my program with my eating, I know is no sugar. I don't have dessert. I don't do sugar. I've just, that's been my program that I've worked for years. That's what works for me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, maybe my program with my drinking is just having, you know, just, just being intentional, sober intentional, like you mm-hmm. said, just being aware of what I'm doing and what I'm putting in my body and why, mm-hmm. you know, it just wakes you up. Like I said, so I loved the one about truth. I think it was Laura Mc- McCowan. She was great. Yeah, she's yeah, awesome. Golly, talking about her. Oh my goodness, so yeah. wonderful. Um, what would you like to hear more of? Oh goodness. Or if there's anything that we haven't covered that might apply to you that you're curious about. Well, one one thing I did want to ask. So y'all, you guys talked about religious and you talked about um, spirituality. Yeah. So what do y'all say when people say, "Well, Jesus drank wine." You know, <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> that's been thrown at me before, you know, like bridal. What, trying to get you to drink? <laughs> like, God. Story <laughs> of my life. Jesus did it, Alice. Come on. Oh, Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I love that y'all balance experts with real people. I love that y'all, ha- I mean, y'all have athletes on here having Gabby Reese and Carrie Walsh Jennings. Like, that was amazing. Oh. Like, I love your balance of athletes, experts, Real people, you know, I just think, I think you're doing great. I wouldn't change a thing. I haven't listened to every single episode. Like, I've listened to every episode twice, and I'm not even kidding. Like, I love y'all's podcast. Like, yeah. even just the song kind of gets me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what else you Like got? I said, required listening for everybody. We're your new dopamine hit. I'm going to play y'all while I'm drinking my champagne. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, y'all are doing great, and I thank you for all y'all have done and just just getting the conversation going. You know, because you can write a book and you can read a book, but you put that book down. But if every mm-hmm. week, you know, a podcast drops in that I get to listen to while I'm running, that's just a reminder. It's like my meeting almost, you mm-hmm. know. It's like it's like my therapy session with y'all, I almost feel like. And it's just a weekly reminder just to be intentional and aware of what we're putting into our bodies like we do with food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What are we missing? What are the things that we can close the loop on? What are some of the topics that you're like, I really still want to hear more about this? Because one thing just as you're talking that comes to mind just from your story is that we mm-hmm. haven't talked enough about sugar substitution with alcohol. Yes, absolutely. Like when that you're saying my, your thing is yep. sugar and you don't, you know, that's part of your yeah. program is you cut out sugar. It's like, well, alcohol was probably the perfect replacement for you then. Like biologically, that makes so much sense. Well, it's like sometimes people will come on and say, I don't drink, but I, and I'm not just, just saying anything bad about this nice woman who came on. I can't remember her name, but she said she has cereal with chocolate milk at night. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's an addiction. Right. Like, why is that not? Like, I've had people shame me. They'll be like, why are you having a glass of champagne? I don't drink while they're chugging Coca-Cola. And and if they're sober, that's totally different. I'm just saying like someone who, you know, that's an addiction too. And granted, you're not going to have a bowl of cocoa puffs and go kill somebody with your car that's a totally different you know alcohol i'm not comparing but it is an addictive substance sure. so anything more about like sugar addiction and all that i'd be fascinated to yeah. listen to yeah. you know yeah. um because it's all connected and so we usually close mm-hmm. with like your top three tips for how you become more intentional mm-hmm. around your drinking what are the, like the top three things i would definitely say something y'all talk about a lot is like know your why Know your why. Like, know, know why I'm drinking. Like, dust just goes back to being intentional. Having that toolbox, you know, having 
you know, knowing, okay, I'm going to have this glass of champagne, but right behind it's the green tea and the, you know, walk with the dog and all that. Like having that next step. Because it's like opening the fridge and just having one cookie. Why are you just going to have one cookie if you could have the whole box? Like how do you stop? It's just learning to stop mm -hmm. and learning to stop yourself when the dopamine is lighting up like crazy. Um, I think that's just, I just think, um, what do they say? Play the tape forward? Mm -hmm. You know, like drink my champagne, but if you think about that second, third glass, play the tape forward. How are you going to feel at 2 a.m. when I wake up having a panic attack? How am I going to feel the next morning when I have a speed workout and I feel crummy? How am I going to feel if, you know, I'm having a panic attack while driving my daughter to school? Like, that's just not fun. And all of that doesn't exist if I work my program and, or, you know, do my one glass or none or whatever, so... Give us three things in your life that have improved drastically since you've kind of been on this intentional alcohol journey. I'm sleeping like a baby oh. all night long, <laughs> mm. like Lionel Richie, all Lovely. night long. I'm telling you, like nine to seven. It's amazing. I think his song is more about partying. Oh, <laughs> but good, but see, okay. <laughs> well, I sleep all night long. It's amazing. All night. Best sleep. I'm happier. You know, I wake up really happy. My panic is definitely lower. Like, mm. I don't even think about, like, you know, before I'd be like, oh, gosh, I've got to drive this place. i got to drive this place. Now, like, yesterday I drove, you know, from the airport home with my mom and my daughter in the backseat. I didn't think, I wasn't even nervous. Like, and driving with people in the car used to make me really nervous, even I did it with you. <laughs> you I was fine back then. Ten-year-olds in the backseat. <laughs> so, I wasn't drinking. I was so young. <laughs> so I've definitely been happier. I'm sleeping better. And, and my anxiety's lower. So those three would definitely be the case. Those three. are good ones. Yeah. Those yeah. are really good ones. Yeah. Nice. Well, Alice, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank y'all. We appreciate really, really it. appreciate this. Man, your honesty. It's... Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad that you reached out and uh, we were able to do this today. This has been great. Can Thanks. you say thank you for being vulnerable? Yes, vulnerable. Th thank you for being vulnerable. Your vulnerability. <laughs> Holy cow. It's, Thanks uh, for coming on. It really it was awesome. Is. No, you're y'all are all just amazing. So thank y'all for what you're doing. So y'all have helped me so much. So if my story can help one person, then I feel good. Because I just will. felt like I took so much from y'all, you know, maybe coming on could be like, yeah. you know, as a thank you all for what y'all are doing. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.